Welcome back to Camden Cast, your Baltimore Orioles podcast from CamdenChat.com. Joining you once again, now that the season is really for real all the way over, I am your host, Mark Brown, Eat More SK on Camden Chat. Joining me, as always, is the newly famous introduction to Bill James' book writing, <laughs> Andrew Gibson. Andrew, how's it going? Hi, Mark. How are you? I am has, doing okay. We've got has a, the has the handbook come out in like have people actually gotten it? Like I walked in on a Monday and it was sitting on my desk, but I don't know if it got sent out to the the public at large yet. I uh, I don't know. I can't say that I pre-ordered a copy or anything. Don't hate well, me. I'm leaving. Yes, yes. I'm very sorry, <laughs> but um. So we have a little GM fever here in Baltimore, although I shouldn't say GM fever. It's it's now going to be executive vice president of baseball operations fever. And in the time since our last podcast, which, by the way, you should not go back and listen to because I think Andrew and I both will be thoroughly embarrassed by our playoff predictions if anybody actually... uh, actually (laughs) I did say, I specifically said... I, I consider the Yankees and the Phillies the favorites, but how often do the two favorites end up in the World Series we, together? We did spend some time talking about it feeling like too much chalk, but we didn't, we didn't even have the right playoff teams making it into the playoffs because who could have seen either right. of those epic collapses coming? What a what a conclusion. But anyway, that's all old news. New news is the Orioles search for uh, whatever they're going to call him went through a very dysfunctional process which with which you're probably all familiar already but let's just run down the highlights first everybody knew since like june that andy mcphail was not going to be returning to the job people had been writing about it it just seems like everybody knew uh the season ended and, and had- you assume the Orioles knew about it before it got out into the paper. Before it got out into the paper. But you hope Matt Klentak didn't read it in foxsports.com and then have to run up to his boss and, and ask him about it. And then the season ended, and there was like a weekend of stories where it was like maybe they were trying to talk Buck into being the GM, and Buck had to go talk to his wife. And then the weekend ended, and Buck didn't want to be the GM. And then... There was a week where they were trying to kind of talk Andy McPhail into staying on as the GM analog, although his title was actually president of baseball operations. Andy McPhail, he just wants to get out of Dodge. Who can blame him, really? Uh, I don't know. The interview process dragged on. We had Jerry DePoto from the Diamondbacks, who ultimately took the job with the Angels, Tony LaCava from the Blue Jays. We thought he was going to get hired. A contract offer was made, but then he declined it. The story slowly leaked out, not from the local media people, but from the national people, that basically Tony LaCava wanted complete latitude to overhaul everyone in the organization. And apparently there are, there's at least one person, perhaps multiple people who are uh, unable to be dislodged from their jobs by a new person. And, I also heard, I think, John Heyman from Sports Illustrated. A.K.A. Uh, ScottBoris.com. <laughs> right. I think he tweeted that LaCava went back to Toronto and was offered a pay raise 
to stick around. So I sort of wonder, I assume all of these things sort of added up together and it wasn't just, he didn't have complete latitude to do what he wanted in Baltimore, but he also was getting a pay raise to stay in Toronto. Um, Which wouldn't be the first time in history that somebody went on an interview and their bosses at their current job heard about it and then were like, hey, let's give you some more money so you stay. So Right. I, you know, we're sort of assuming there. But there's, I, I definitely think there's, there's more to it than just any one part of the story that we've heard. We definitely, nobody is telling the story of exactly what went wrong like even the national media people who are happy to pile on and gleefully bash the baltimore orioles dysfunctional organization with our occasionally we like to talk about how we like keith law and he thinks nobody with an ounce of self-respect would take the baltimore whatever gm position so apparently dan duquette has no self-respect which well i don't know maybe he doesn't i couldn't say well, maybe somebody without much self-respect would be perfect. Yeah, for this job. Yeah, that's, you know, check your ego at the door. It's entirely sort of possible. Thing. Who knows? We certainly don't. But it, it is interesting that even the people that will jump on and pile on, none of those guys are really naming names at the bottom of the program either. Yeah, it's sort of disturbing and aggravating how we keep hearing over and over again about how bad the Peter Angelos cronyism, for lack of a better word, is coming from all these different sources. Well, why not spell it out? Why not put it more in the spotlight? I think one of the best things about this whole fiasco of a GM or whatever search that the Orioles put on is that it put how they couldn't even get who they wanted to interview in the interview room because guys were saying, no, they, I'm good. I'm good. Not even talking to you about this job that I spent my entire adult life trying to get to. Right. The second, the second wave after Tony LaCava declined was just one report after another of the Orioles calling so-and-so and team gave them permission to talk. And the other guys like, I think Buster Olney from ESPN tweeted that the Orioles are basically getting the GM equivalent of, sorry, I have to wash my hair. Right. And that's really embarrassing for them, and it should be. But when everybody can see that, it sort of forces you, I would hope it would force you to own up to it a little bit. Like, why can't we even get these guys to agree to talk to us? What is it that's wrong with us? Now, I don't think they necessarily got that far in the process because, I mean, I guess how would I know because I haven't heard anything. But why doesn't Ken Rosenthal or Keith Law or some national reporter who apparently knows the inside scoop, like uh, CBS's Danny Nobler was the guy who broke the Tony LaCava he was. Did he not was come the first to Baltimore. Guy who said that there was specific people that Lacava right. wanted to remove, and he wasn't going to be able to remove them, and that was the ultimate sticking point. If it's so important for the Orioles' success moving forward, 
to dislodge these people, or at least come up with a good reason why they're there, the first thing is they need to be exposed. And, you know, nobody's exposing them. And that just makes me wonder about a whole bunch of different things. It's it's a very peculiar story all the way around. And uh, clearly this isn't going to be the time where it's unraveled, because now that we've got Dan Duquette hired and he's in... Uh, yeah, it's, it's not. It's not it, topical. It? The momentum on kind yeah. of unwinding that mystery is gone. So, I don't know what's going to happen. Who knows? It it seemed weird to me that somebody would really decline that job because I think if you're clever, you can work around people that are just stuck there. And well, I don't think it's so much that they're stuck. Well, they're they're unable to remove. I mean, I don't right, know. but I I don't think that's necessarily the issue. Yeah. If you're, for one thing, let let's talk about Tony Lacava. The Blue Jays are, I think, one of the more exciting teams in all of baseball in the next few years. Or they look like it. They're poised. They have been making great moves. We talked about it on the podcast a bit when we had uh, Johnny Goldsmith from Bluebird Banter, and some since then, just. Alex Anthopoulos, the GM there, has just really made some really interesting trades. Like yeah. Getting Brett Lawry for Sean Markham and getting Colby Rasmus from the Cardinals. So, Tony LaCava would be moving from that situation, and again, where he's been offered more money to stay in his current role, to come to Baltimore, where he'll be like Dan Duquette's on a three-year deal, so we could assume Tony LaCava would be on a three-year deal. Yep. And, I mean, the Orioles at the Major League level are going to need some serious miracle work to improve substantially over the next three years, I think. That, that's just my opinion. That is a totally fair statement to say, Andrew. And at this point, we know why. Because the pitching stunk, the worst in the league... The young guys we were counting on bombed this year. And there's there's not a lot left in the minor league system. There's no there's so, no second wave of the cavalry. And by the way, exactly. I am very sorry that Tony LaCava didn't get hired because then we could have called him the LaCavalry. <laughs> you got it in there once, though. I did. You know what? I had to write that post really quick because I was like, Rock Kubatko is going to use this if I don't get to it first, and I wanted to be the first. <laughs> I was proud that uh, that I brought that into the lexicon for the five minutes that it mattered. Yes, that is good. Um, I can hang my hat on that, except I don't so, wear hats. But if I had one, I would hang it on that. So he he's already moving from a situation where he's worked for a long time and where it looks like they're turning into something successful that he would want to hang his hat on. And, he, and he's coming from there to Baltimore that needs a lot of work, where the results aren't going to look good, at least to the non-deep discerning eye. Um, and on top of all of that, he's going to have subordinates who can go over his head whenever they want and talk to his boss, being the owner, Peter Angelos. Yep. And it's not a matter of can he work around them and give them busy work to do. 
and then go and do the actual work without them, but that they're undermining what he's doing. And again, you know, we sort of have to fill in a lot of blanks here because we have no idea who we're even talking about. Right. We don't even know who is in the Orioles organization entirely that could be the people that are the problem. Right. So, um, whatever. Presumably you know, it's not... Well, we can rule out the people who have left the organization because it, it clearly wasn't Joe Jordan since he's gone and that was still a problem, for instance. But that's about all we can say. Right. So... You know, what about that situation when you've explicitly been told that you're going to have to deal with these guys who are going to have a similar amount of authority in the owner's eye as you? Like, what about that situation looks appealing? Well, nothing. I mean, outside of this is your chance right. to be a GM, and if you do pull it off, you're you're set for life. The, the guy who resurrects the Orioles is, is going to have his career made, if not done. You know, he's going to make a lot of money. He's going to get a lot of acclaim. I think I'm it, going to like him personally. Yeah. I'll send him flowers. I think it says a lot that uh, Tony Lucava, a promising guy, just told them ultimately to take a hike, to, to not pursue that dream. Because, you know, it has to be something he's had as a goal since he got into baseball, probably, or since he started hearing his name, you know, as one of the shortlist guys. Right. So, I mean, I guess what it comes down to is we hope that that incident kind of scared the Orioles straight. And uh, I mean, I don't know. That seems really kind of unlikely, though, when you say it out loud, doesn't it? It does. It does. It does. So what we have instead is Dan Duquette, who apparently was the one who called the Orioles and the Orioles didn't even call him is what I've read in places like Rock Kubatko and stuff like that. But he came in for an interview and whatever led the Orioles to him, led him to the Orioles. It seems that's the, uh, the happy union now. And we've got Dan Duquette and today he had the press conference introducing himself and Andrew, both you and I watched most of that, press conference and uh it definitely seemed like he was trying to say all the right things although we've had a lot of people come through baltimore and say all the right things and uh that still leaves us with less than 70 win seasons for like the last yeah. decade or whatever um trying really hard is the first thing i would say about the press conference um I might even go so far as to say he was laying it on a little thick. You know, he was talking about growing up and pretending he was Mark Belanger in the backyard. And the first player he met was Brooks Robinson when he was eight. Right. And it's just like, maybe? I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that information. Like, you you really love the Orioles. You've loved the Orioles ever since you met Brooks Robinson. I mean... That just it, it seems like the type of thing that a a group of PR interns would have come up like you want to win over the fans, talk about how much you like Mark Belanger and Brooks Robinson. Talk about I'm names, surprised they didn't bring up Cal Ripken. Well, see, they must have been trying to reach the older guys who were actually alive for those days. Maybe that's who they think they need to bring back. 
Yeah, I guess. I mean, we're already here. So we are. We're already here. Us. You're already here if you're listening to this podcast. So, but who knows? He seemed, and I can relate to this an awful lot, he seemed like he was trying very, very hard to appear comfortable. You know, he was he was swaying back and forth and talking with his hands and sort of stumbling through his words a little bit. He accidentally called Baltimore Boston at one point. Personally, he reminded me of kind of an eccentric college professor who, and you, you probably had his professor. He just is always with the random interludes and stories where you're not really sure what they're relevant to what he was just trying to talk about. But, and they don't ever go anywhere. But, but still talking to him, you just get the feeling that he knows a lot. And if you listen for long enough, you'll learn something from him. But I don't know. Is the eccentric college professor going to be a good executive vice president of baseball operations? Who knows? But he did say all the right things to the various questions that were asked of him after he introduced himself. Which, And I agree. He He seemed like he was a little uncomfortable when he was trying to talk about himself i mean that's fine that's fine it's i'm not criticizing him just this did not come off at all like the press conference of a confident organization introducing a guy with a confident strategy to reclaim their their throne i guess like there's no part of that that matched what i saw today it seemed i guess like he was a little, he's the desperate guy who, who latched on to a desperate organization. And, you know, it's sort of hard not to see that narrative based on the way the entire last month went and the entire last 14 years. You could certainly feel like that. I probably would feel like that if I really sat down and thought about it, which is uh, on the sad side. I want to be optimistic about it, but well, man, yeah, that, that last month was just, I mean, I don't like Stacy had an article on the site. Are you embarrassed? No, I'm not. But the Orioles should be, and I, I think hope they the, are. The Orioles are an embarrassment, but not to me. I mean, I still wear my Orioles hat out. I, unlike you, I own an Orioles hat, and I wear it out. I wear it almost every day. Well, I have an and... Orioles hat. I just I don't wear hats because. Well, do you hang it somewhere? Yes. You know what? Well, there you I go. do. I just there I never go. unhang it, so I don't really hang it either. But <laughs> now that we've solved that mystery. So one thing that he did say that I think was a new thing that none of the people have said before is he he gave a shout out to Earl Weaver for knowing the value of on base percentage uh, long Heck before yes. anybody else in baseball. And he specifically said that Earl Weaver's book on strategy is going to be required reading through the organization, and he pretty much always made his employees read that. Uh, now, that was certainly something new that I haven't heard a manager or a GM specifically not only talk about liking Earl's philosophy, but making sure to uh, to spread that philosophy back through the organization. So if if nothing else, we have to give Dan Duquette that. He's, uh, he's professing to be on board with Earl Weaver, and that's always a good thing. And it's true. Weaver on strategy... And not just for Orioles fans, but if you're serious about liking baseball, you should have read that book at least once or twice by now. 
because it's really good. Um, I'm quietly hoping that well, we've talked about this before on the podcast. Quietly hoping that you took that initiative, Mark. Um, don't give me a quiz tonight, okay? <laughs> but I, you know what? I am going to make an effort to make sure I read that in the off season, especially now that Dan Duquette has given it his name drop. Got, yeah, got you know, is about. I think that that deserves more play on the site too. So listeners come back sometime over the off season and we'll be going through Weaver on strategy because it got name dropped by our new GM or whatever. And it is, it is required reading. It is the bare essentials of modern baseball strategy. And it, and it starts with on base percentage, which is exactly the place to start. It's brilliant. He was he was a brilliant manager. So let's just kind of run down some of the Dan Duquette stuff that was there in that press conference. I think one of the big concerns that people on the site and probably Orioles fans generally had about him was the fact that he had been out of the game for about nine years. And does that mean his coming back is partly desperation, or does it mean you know he just wanted time off and he's decided? He's had enough time, and now he wants to come back. Well, he did kind of give, I think he gave a good answer for that when he was asked about it. Because first he talked about, well, he got to have time to coach his sons who were young, and now they're in their teens, and they're probably too cool for their dad now anyway. Uh, he just needed like the rest and respite from the day-to-day grind. Apparently, he always had a dream of building up a baseball academy, which he did in his home in somewhere in Massachusetts. I think it's like Pittsfield or something. I don't know. Uh, he said he wasn't even aggressively pursuing any Major League Baseball jobs, so I don't know. I don't think it was a bad answer to have uh, ready to go. It's something I've heard that from a bunch of different... Like, Cal Ripken's got the same thing. Right. He doesn't he want retired. to be getting greatly involved until after his son has graduated from high school so he can do stuff at Gilman or whatever. Right. Which, I mean, I don't have kids. You don't have kids, I'm guessing. I do not have any children. And uh, so, I, I, you know, that's not something I can really relate with at all. And I have no idea if that makes sense on a primal level. I think it doesn't for people that have regular jobs, but for somebody where your life is just consumed like a baseball player. I mean, especially Cal with his 26-32 and everything. I mean, you know, that's like counting spring training, what, like eight months out of the year? You're just having a very kind of unstable existence. I mean, even when you have a long homestand, you're still at the ballpark a lot. So you can appreciate, and I think even more for a GM, because the GM doesn't even really get an offseason. Yeah. you got to just, after a while, just say, you know what, I just kind of want to go home for a while. But at the same time, whenever anybody is let go when they don't want to be, and they're, they're forced down when they don't want to be, they always cite family reasons. Yes, that is that is also the truth. Andy McPhail cited family reasons for why he's stepping down. 
And I don't know. I don't know anything about that. Maybe he wants to take a year or two off and attend to his family. I have no idea. But you always hear that, and it always gets discounted because it's it's boiler boilerplate spin. It, it's like spin one hundred and one. It's the expected. That's that's definitely the case. But that was. I don't. I don't know if it matters though. Does it does it matter why he was he was out? I the think game? to some people it's probably a sign that maybe his skills have deteriorated and I mean maybe they have. It doesn't like he was out of the game for 9 years. If that was by choice or because nobody likes him anymore. I mean either way his skills would have deteriorated to the same degree, right? Yep. Due to technical issues with our hosts, we're still splitting podcasts in two parts. Remember, if you subscribe on iTunes, you can get the second part for relatively little hassle. There's about another 25 minutes Andrew and I continue to look forward to the Dan Duquette era. We will see you there.